Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go back to September 29th, 2006. That's when Petty Officer Michael Monsor is a United States Navy SEAL operating in Ramadi, Iraq. Monsor is standing on a roof in Ramadi, and he's standing in front of a doorway to this roof. He has two Navy SEAL teammates lying in the sniper-prone position next to him. They've already taken AK-47 fire and a rocket-propelled grenade, but they're not exactly sure where the enemy is. There's a bit of a lull in the fighting. Insurgents have blocked off the streets in Ramadi, and there's someone on the loudspeaker in the town mosque yelling, Kill the Americans! As Monsor and his team are looking for the next attack, an insurgent from an unknown location throws a grenade up on the roof. It hits Monsor in the chest, and it falls to his feet. Due to the length of the throw, there's no opportunity to pick it up and throw it back. He has only a split second to make a decision. He can leap through the doorway behind him and save himself... But if he does, his two teammates lying on the roof at his feet will surely die. Monsoor yells, Grenade! But instead of jumping backward to save himself, he jumps forward chest first onto the grenade. It detonates. 30 minutes later, 25-year-old Michael Monsoor is dead. His two teammates lying on the roof receive only minor injuries because Monsoor's body muffled the blast. One of the survivors said at Monsoor's funeral, Mikey looked death in the face that day and said, you will not take my friends, I will go in their stead. I've never seen a United States president cry until April of 2008. That's when President George W. Bush invited Monsoor's parents into the East Room of the White House to give them their son's Medal of Honor posthumously. The president couldn't even get through the citation without breaking down. Since then, Monsoor's High School in Garden Grove, California built a new stadium. They named it Michael A. Monsoor Memorial Stadium. The golden trident insignia that the SEALs wear dominates the 50-yard line. January 2019, North Island, California, just outside of San Diego, the United States Navy commissioned the USS Michael Monsoor, the newest guided missile destroyer in the fleet, Zumwalt class. This is Monsoor's mother, Sally, being escorted onto the ship, named in honor of her fallen son. Now, why did they do this? Because Michael Monsoor literally sacrificed himself to save his friends. There's no greater love than to sacrifice yourself to save your friends. 
said Jesus of Nazareth before he went to the cross. Michael Monsor sacrificed himself to save his friends. The question is, would anyone sacrifice himself to save you? And the answer is, someone already has. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. But in today's culture, a lot of people don't think the story's true. They think it's invented. After all, it was written down by religious people. We know they tend to embellish things. And it's got miracles in it, like resurrections. How many people in this room have ever seen someone rise from the dead after being dead for at least 36 hours? Yeah, none of us. Yet if you're a Christian, you have to believe something none of us have ever seen. How rational is that? Well, I actually think it's quite easy to show that Christianity is true. You only need to answer four questions. In other words, if you investigate these four questions, I think you'll realize that the answer to these four questions is yes. And if the answer to these four questions is yes, then Christianity is true. What are the four questions? Here are the four questions. Now that is some pretty grooving music, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's actually from our TV show, which is on every Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. on Roku, R-O-K-U. Look for NRB TV if you have Roku. It's also on DirecTV channel 378. If you don't have Roku and you don't have DirecTV, it's on this new technology sweeping Orlando right now. It's called the internet. You guys heard of this? Yeah, it's on our website right up there in the left-hand corner, crossexamine.org. We're on radio every Saturday morning. Uh, I don't know if it's here in Orlando, but it's podcasted. It's called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And what we do is every week for 48 minutes, we present evidence for Christianity and we cross-examine ideas against it. Now, why are these the four questions? Truth, God, miracles, in the New Testament. First question, does truth exist? You hear people saying there's no truth. You got your truth. I got my truth. All truth is relative. Well, look, if there's no truth, Christianity can't be true. Of course, if there's no truth, atheism can't be true either. In fact, if there was no truth, would you ever go to school? Would you ever read a book? Would you ever be able to catch somebody in a lie? No, you, there's no such thing as a lie unless there's truth, right? Of course there's truth, but people deny it. So we'll mention that here this morning. In fact, yesterday when we were at the Voice Conference, we went through this in great detail. We're just going to summarize it here today. Second question, does God exist? Why is that important? Because if there's no God, Christianity can't be true. And in the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, we show that three arguments point to a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator who creates all things and sustains all things. And you can establish that God exists without any reference to the Bible. The third question, are miracles possible? Obviously, Christianity can't be true if miracles are not possible. But as we point out in the book, not only are miracles possible, but the greatest miracle 
in the Bible has already occurred, and even atheists are admitting the evidence for this miracle. Then the key question, is the New Testament true? The New Testament doesn't have a prayer if there's no truth, no God, or no miracles, but if truth exists, if God exists, if miracles are possible, then we can see if the New Testament documents and other evidence can let us know if one particular event from the ancient world took place that will help us establish that Christianity is true. What is that event? That Jesus rose from the dead. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, game over, Christianity is true. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, game over, it's false. You might as well sleep in on Sunday and do what you want the rest of the week. Because if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, Christianity is false. As the Apostle Paul himself said in his first letter to the Corinthians, if Christ hasn't risen, your faith is in vain. Do you realize you can check out Christianity and see whether it's true or not? True or not, unlike most other world religions, they're not based on some sort of historical event. They're based on someone's philosophy. Christianity is based on an historical event and a person that actually lived and proved he was God by rising from the dead. Now, from this point, if you answer yes to these four questions, you can show that, in the, that Christianity is true and that the Bible is true. I don't have time to get into it now. But I do want to point out that some people will say, oh, don't give reasons, just have faith. That's silly. In fact, the Bible itself says we ought to have reasons. Peter said this. He said, always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now, the gentleness and respect thing is hard for me because I'm originally from New Jersey. All right? Anyone else here from Jersey? Forget about it. So what we're going to do here is we're going to go through... I'm going to review point one, and then we're going to jump really to point four, because we have limited time here today, and I'm going to speak very quickly. In fact, I speak at 150 words a minute with Gus the 350. So you're not going to be able to keep up. You cannot listen in Southern, all right? That's okay, because at the end of this, I'm going to show you how I can, I'm going to send you the entire PowerPoint presentation in a PDF format for free. So... Just try and keep up with me by listening, and then I'll send you all the images later so you can look at them at your leisure, all right? So what I want to do for just a minute is to spend a little bit of time on point one. We spent some time on it yesterday at the conference, but most of these people weren't here. So let's spend a little bit of time on point one. Does truth exist? And whenever you start talking about truth, you always have to start with Jack Nicholson, right? Because Tom Cruise had him on the witness stand, and he said to him, Colonel, I want the truth. And Nicholson said, That was better than first service, but it was still weak. He didn't say, You can't handle the truth. If he said it that way, the movie would have gone nowhere. Here's how he said it. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. All right, let's try it again. I want the truth. Now, that felt good, didn't it? Didn't that feel good? Well, there's a lot of people that can't handle the truth. They're saying, you got your truth, I got my truth, all truth is relative. As we pointed out yesterday, you got to get good at debunking people who say stuff like that because it's silly. For example, if someone were to ever come up to you and say there is no truth, you should ask that person a question. What should the question be? Is that true? Is it true that there's no truth? Because if it's true that there's no truth, the claim there is no truth can't be true, but it claims to be true. <laughs> Can everybody see this is a self-defeating statement? Yeah. It's like saying I can't speak a word in English. They claim it's true that there's no truth. 
That's like saying my parents had no kids that lived, right? I mean, it defeats itself. And so many of the statements you hear in our culture today defeat themselves. We went through them yesterday. You know, like people say all truth is relative. You say, is that a relative truth? People say, you got your truth, I got my truth. And you go, is that the truth? That you got your truth, I got my truth? No, that's a the truth, claiming there are no the truths. People say you ought not judge. When they say that, what should you say? Then why are you judging me for judging? (laughs) See, it's a judgment. Jesus didn't say don't judge. He said judge not lest you be judged. He's not telling us not to judge. He's telling us don't judge hypocritically. Anyway, we went through all this yesterday, and what you got to get good at doing is you got to get good at turning the claim on itself. Turning the claim on itself. So if someone says there's no truth, you turn the claim on itself, and you say is that true, okay? And the main point here is we want to point out that statements like this shoot themselves. Can everybody see that? Which means that relativism and postmodernism are false, okay? We covered this all yesterday. I'm going to send you the, all the PowerPoint slides, so i got to move on to briefly point two, does God exist? There's a lot of evidence that God exists, a lot of arguments. Let me just mention one. One argument is that the universe came into existence out of nothing. Once there was no space and time, and then the entire universe exploded into being out of nothing, and even atheists are agreeing with this. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if space, matter, and time came into existence out of nothing, what could have caused that? Had to be something outside of space, matter, and time. In other words, the cause would have to be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful to create the universe out of nothing, personal in order to choose to create, and also intelligent to have a mind to create. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you think about a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent cause, who do you think of? You say God. You say, well, Frank, how do you know it's the Christian God? And the answer is, we don't yet. I mean, this could be Allah at this point. We don't know. But if we keep going through these questions and we realize Jesus rose from the dead, then we can say the same being that walked out of the tomb 1,989 years ago is the same being in whose divine nature created the universe out of nothing. Now, there's other arguments, but how about the third question? Are miracles possible? A lot of people don't believe in miracles because they've never seen one. But... The greatest miracle in the Bible has already occurred, and even atheists are admitting the evidence for it. What's the greatest miracle in the Bible? It's not the resurrection. The greatest miracle in the Bible is the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If that verse is true, ladies and gentlemen, every other verse is at least possible. If God can create the whole show out of nothing, can he raise Jesus from the dead? Of course he can. And even atheists are admitting the evidence for the first miracle. They don't think it's God, but what else could it be? So miracles are possible. The only question we have now is, is it true that a miracle like the resurrection actually did take place? Now in the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, we have 10 reasons why the New Testament writers are telling the truth about this. We don't have time to go through all of that. I'm just going to spend a little bit of time on two of them. And the first one is embarrassing stories. You say embarrassing stories, what does that have to do with showing that they're telling the truth? Because historians know if there's something embarrassing to the author or authors in the text, it's probably true. 
Why? Because if you're writing something down, you're not going to make up stuff that embarrasses you. You might make up stuff that makes you look good, right? But you're not going to make up stuff that makes you look bad. In fact, let me ask you guys a question. How many people in here have ever lied to make yourself look good? If you don't have your hand up right now, you're lying <laughs> to make yourself look good. And it's not working. We know you're lying. How many people have ever lied to make yourself look bad? Now, you don't do that. You might lie to make yourself look good. You won't lie to make yourself look bad. Well, the New Testament documents, and this is true of the Old Testament as well, but we're just looking at the New Testament now. The New Testament documents or writers have filled the documents with embarrassing details that make them look bad and even makes Jesus look bad in certain ways. That's why we call this the duh factor. They're not making this up. Let me just give you a few of these. Peter, their leader, the leader of the disciples is called Satan by Jesus. Do you think Mark invented this? Do you think Mark, when he was about to write this down, said to Peter, Hey, Pete, I'm going to make this a real interesting story. I'm going to have the Lord call you Satan. What do you, think, what do you think Peter would have said? Have him call you Satan. Look, I'm the leader here. This doesn't look good. And then Peter says, Lord, I'll never deny you. What does he wind up doing? He denies him three times. And then after crucifixion, all the disciples, maybe with the exception of one, they all run away because they're afraid of the Jews. They're, they're afraid. It's like a Monty Python movie. Run away, right? And who are the brave ones? Who doesn't run away? L ladies, who are the brave ones? The women. The women are the brave ones. Now, that's right. You can give yourselves a hand. That's right. I am woman, hear me roar. I did not run away like you sissy pants men did. Now, who wrote the New Testament documents down? Men. Now, what man is going to invent that he was hiding for fear of the Jews Why the women went down and discovered the empty tomb? Would any man in here invent that? I, if I was there, I, I wouldn't say that. I'd make my, my, myself look good. I'd write something down like this. Let's see. We, uh, we marched right down there and we overpowered that elite Roman guard. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? John said, get out. Peter, roundhouse kicked him. <laughs> Thomas said, we'll be back. <laughs> no doubt. And then on Sunday morning, we marched right down to the tomb, and we saw Jesus who congratulated us on our great faith. And then we went and comforted the trembling women. <laughs> I would never say I was Mr. Sissy Pants while the women were the brave ones. And oh, by the way, why would they never say the women were the first witnesses, regardless of the fact that it was embarrassing to men? Why would you never say that independent of that? Because a woman's testimony was not considered on par with that of a man. So if you're making up the New Testament story, you'd only have the men be the first witnesses. Yet all four Gospels say the women were the first witnesses, which is telling us what? They really were as embarrassing as it was to men and as bad as it was as a apologetic, as evidence for the faith. Because one of the women, by the way, was a formerly demon-possessed woman, Mary Magdalene. Gee, what a great credible witness you got there, right? I actually had a woman come up to me once and she said, Frank, I know why Jesus appeared to the women first. I said, why? And she said, because he wanted to get the story out. I said, that is an excellent point. 
I had not thought of that. Because, ladies, when your man comes home from work, does he say much? There could have been a nuclear explosion down at the plant. He's not going to tell you. You'll see it on the news before you hear it from him. You'll be watching the news going, hey, hon, what happened? Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. The nuke blew up. I've been hot for three days. What's for dinner? He's not going to tell you. I can't even believe this next verse is in the New Testament, but it is. You know the end of the Gospel of Matthew? This is where Jesus takes his disciples up on the mountain in Galilee and gives them the Great Commission. This is the climax, right? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Notice he doesn't say make believers. He says make disciples. There's a difference. Anyway, as he's giving them the Great Commission, it says about the disciples who are standing there, some believed, but some doubted. This is Matthew 8, 20. Matthew 28, 17. It says they're doubting. He's standing right in front of them, resurrected. And they're standing there going, you see that guy over there? Yep. That guy over there is Jesus. Oh, no, it can't be Jesus. He was just killed not long ago. No, I'm telling you, it's him. Look, he's dead. The Romans killed him. It's Jesus. Look, the Romans whipped him. They crucified him. They put nails in him. They put a spear in his side. Blood or water came out. If they didn't kill him, they could be killed themselves. Jesus is dead. I'm telling you, it's him. It can't be. It is. How do you know? The women told me. <laughs> They're not making this up. There's even potentially embarrassing details about Jesus. Jesus, his own brothers don't believe in him. That's embarrassing. His family thinks he's out of his mind, Mark chapter 3. They think he's nuts. They want to take him home. This is embarrassing. Also, he's called a madman. He's called a drunkard. He's called demon-possessed. Do you think they invented this? No, this is what people were saying about him. They're just reporting it. He has his feet wiped with the hair of a prostitute, which easily could have been seen as a sexual advance. And oh, by the way, notice there are two prostitutes in Jesus' bloodline, the Messiah's bloodline. Who are the prostitutes? Anyone? Rahab and Tamar plays the prostitute. Now, do you think when Matthew and Luke wrote down the genealogies, they said, you know what, I really think we ought to spice up the Messiah's bloodline a little bit. Let's put a couple of prostitutes in there. What do you say, Rahab, Tam No, this is embarrassing. There's a lot, in fact, there's a lot of embarrassing people in the Messiah's bloodline. Judah, from where we get the term Jew from, Jesus from the tribe of Judah, not a good guy. Judah was the brother who sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt. And yet he's in the bloodline of the Messiah. David, David, a man after God's own heart. Yeah, but he's a liar, adulterer, and a murderer. Gee, I guess there's hope for the rest of us then, huh? Bathsheba's in there. In fact, Matthew won't even mention her name when he gets to her in the genealogy. You know what he says instead? Uriah's wife. He's telling the truth, but it's a slam. You notice that? Who is Uriah? Husband of Bathsheba, whom David had killed so he could have Bathsheba. He's telling the truth, but he's telling the embarrassing stuff. You're never going to find this in the Pharaoh's genealogy. You think Pharaoh's historian would live a day after he said, yeah, Pharaoh, you got prostitutes in your bloodline. Never. They're telling the truth. And then Jesus is hung on a tree, which is embarrassing because according to the Jews, if you're hung on a tree, you're under God's curse. You'd never make this up. 
Well, Jesus was under God's curse. What curse? The curse of sin we put him under. In fact, if you look at the two, there's two trees in Genesis. What are they? Tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Go all the way to Revelation. What do you find in Revelation? The tree of life. You know there's a tree right in the middle. What's the tree in the middle? The tree that Jesus was hung on. Because we sinned at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the only access we could again get to the tree of life is if he paid our penalty for us. He had to be hung on the tree. That's how we can have access to the tree of life. There's much more in the book about embarrassing stories, but we got to move on to our final we're going to look at, and that is excruciating deaths. What are excruciating deaths? This is the argument that says these men who were in a position to know whether Jesus had resurrected or not died excruciating deaths when they could have saved themselves by saying, look, it never happened. And what you need to understand about the apostles who wrote down the New Testament, all of them, with the exception of Luke, Luke is the only Gentile, all of them are Jews who believed in Yahweh and thought they were God's chosen people. And there's a couple things they didn't think could happen. They didn't think a man could claim to be God. That was blasphemy. And they didn't think one guy would rise from the dead in the middle of time. They knew they'd all rise from the dead at the end of time, according to Daniel 12. But they didn't think a guy could claim to be God and rise from the dead in the middle of time. And yet, these were the men that said that's exactly what happened. And you know what? They changed their worldview almost overnight. Let's take a look at the apostles' beliefs and practices before and after the resurrection. Before the resurrection, they believed in animal sacrifice. They've been slaying lambs to Yahweh for hundreds of years, and then suddenly Jesus comes along and they say, we don't need to slay these lambs anymore because these lambs are just symbols of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here he is. He's here. Christ has fulfilled all that. Before they believed in a binding law of Moses. Afterwards, nope, Christ's life has fulfilled the binding law of Moses. Before they believed in strict monotheism. Afterwards, they're believing in a trinity. Three persons in one divine essence. Yes, you can get the trinity from the Old Testament, but it's much clearer in the New. Before they believed in the Sabbath. In fact, they thought they could be stoned for not obeying the Sabbath. Afterwards, they're worshiping on Sunday, because that's the day he rose, and Paul says, don't let anyone tell you have to obey any Sabbath or festival day. Why? Because the Sabbath has arrived. Who's the Sabbath? Jesus. He's our rest. Out of the Ten Commandments, nine of them are repeated in the New Testament. The only one that isn't is keep holy the Sabbath. Why? Because the Sabbath has been fulfilled by Jesus. We rest in him. Before they believed in a conquering Messiah, afterwards a sacrificial Messiah. Oh, Jesus will conquer when he comes back again. But they didn't anticipate the first coming, the suffering servant. Before they believed in circumcision, afterwards they believed in baptism and communion. Now, what would have caused these pious Jews who thought they were God's chosen people to abandon everything on the left and adopt everything on the right virtually overnight? The only thing I can think of is what psychologists call an impact event. What's an impact event? An impact event is an event that occurs in your life that is so dramatic that it can change your perspective 180 degrees immediately. Some impact events are so dramatic that although you might not remember what you had for breakfast this morning, you'll remember an event that occurred 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago if you're old enough. In fact, there's probably only a few people in this room 
the gentleman who had the birthday at 102, he can remember this. There might be a few others. If you can remember where you were and what you were doing November 22nd, 1963, raise your hand and hold it up high. Ladies and gentlemen, see these people with their hands up? These people are very old. <laughs> November 22nd, 1963 is my earliest memory. I was two years old and two days. Yes, yes, I'm 60 years old now. I know, I know, I don't, I don't look a day over 59. In fact, when I hit 50, my wife was very encouraging. She said, honey, you're going to live to be 100. I said, how do you know? She said, because you look half dead already. <laughs> anyway, I'm two years old in two days, November 22nd, 1963. I'm standing as a toddler in our home in Wanamassa, New Jersey, and my mother is sitting on an ottoman in front of a black and white TV, weeping uncontrollably. Mommy, what's the matter? What's the matter? They killed the president. They killed the president. President Kennedy assassinated that day. I can see my mother right now in my mind when she was 26 years old sitting on that ottoman. I can see her right now. She's 84 today. It's my earliest memory. It was an impact event. Never saw my mom cry like that. I don't remember anything before that and very little after that. Where were you when the second plane hit the tower? Most of you, 21 years ago, most of you can remember something about that day. I was in my home in Charlotte, North Carolina. I had the TV on behind me. Uh, I was talking to a pastor at the north side of Charlotte, and he was wanting me to come to his church, and we were trying to talk about what the topic would be. I said, do you have the TV on? He goes, yeah. I said, maybe a Cessna hit the World Trade Tower. That had happened before. And so we're talking. My back is still to the TV, and he says... The second tower just got hit. I turned around. I look at the TV. The second tower's on fire. I said, was it a Cessna? He goes, no, no. It was, a, it, was a, it was a passenger plane. It was like a United plane. I said, you saw that? He goes, it was just on live TV. I said, look, look. Let me call you back. I hung up the phone. For some reason that morning I had CNN on, the communist news network. <laughs> and... um. And I'm not making this up, but the commentator on CNN said, one has to think there's some sort of navigational error here. I said, navigational error? You dimwit. This is the clearest day in the history of the Big Apple. What do you think, pilots can't see where they're going? You think Stevie Wonder's flying these planes? I mean, come on. This is terrorism. I called that pastor the next day. I said, we're going to come to your church and talk about Islam because that's what this is related to. Now, 9-11 was over 21 years ago. And those of you who are old enough can remember something about that day. But if I were to ask you what you were doing 21 days ago, most of you are going to go, I don't know. Let me look at my iPhone. What was I doing that day? <laughs> Why can you remember something from 21 years ago but not 21 days ago? No impact event 21 days ago. Impact event 21 years ago. Do you think a resurrection would have been an impact event? Do you think he would have remembered or all the disciples would have remembered everything Jesus said and did from then on? I mean, imagine if you were there. This guy walks out of the tomb and starts doing miracles, starts doing miracles and he does them for 40 days. Are you going to remember that? Or are you going to go, gee, I can't remember what really happened? You're going to have no trouble remembering what Jesus said and did. In fact, 
You might also ask the question, what did the New Testament writers have to gain by making up a new religion? What did they get by saying Jesus had resurrected from the dead? Well, they got kicked out of the synagogue, and then they got beaten, tortured, and killed. Last time I checked, that was not a list of perks. We're going to start a new religion. We are? Yeah. What's it going to get us? Well, first we get kicked out of the synagogue, then we'll get beaten, tortured, and killed. Well, sign me up. What a great idea. Why haven't we thought of this earlier? No, I don't think so. In fact, these people had everything or every motive to say the resurrection did not happen, not every motive to say it did. You know, a lot of times I get the question, if you're a Christian, maybe you do as well. Are there any non-Christian writers that talk about Jesus and the apostles? Yes, they're in chapter 9 of I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. They're not eyewitnesses, but they get a story congruent with the New Testament. But you know what that question kind of assumes? It assumes that you really can't trust the New Testament writers because, you see, they were religious and they had an agenda and they embellished it. If you think about that for more than five seconds, you realize how stupid that assumption is. What did these people have to gain by saying it was true? Nothing. They had everything to lose. In fact, you may, some of you may know my friend Jay Warner Wallace, the cold case homicide detective who's been on Dateline more than any other homicide detective because he solves murders that are decades old. Jim is a Christian, and he uses his, his homicide detective skills to investigate the greatest homicide of all time, the homicide of Jesus. And he says that whenever he finds a murdered body, he knows the body's been murdered, he doesn't have to look for a thousand motivations for why the guy's dead. He says... There's just one of these three or a combination of these three reasons why that guy was murdered. There was either a sex issue, a money issue, or a power issue. Sex, money, or power. Those are the three motivators that people will murder for. They're also the same three motivators that any of us will choose to sin for. Why? Because sex, money, and power are good things. In fact, they're so good, we'll often take shortcuts to get them. So Jim says, if you want to say that the New Testament writers embellished all this, that they made it all up, you got to find one or more of those three motivators. Okay, question. Let's look at each of these. Did the New Testament writers get real popular with the ladies for saying Jesus had resurrected from the dead? No, they didn't get sex. Did they get money? No, they weren't 21st century prosperity gospel preachers. Did they get power? No, they got the opposite of power. They got persecuted. Paul had power when he persecuted the church. As soon as he becomes a Christian, he's the one persecuted. They didn't get sex. They didn't get money. They didn't get power. They're not making this up. And then why would they die for a known lie? You say, wait a minute, Frank, time out. If you're going to say that martyrdom proves Christianity, don't you have to say that martyrdom gives evidence for Islam? And the answer is no. Why? Because there's a lot of difference between the Muslim martyrs of today and the New Testament martyrs of New Testament times. But let me just give you one difference for our purposes here. The Muslim martyrs of today haven't witnessed anything that tells them that Islam is true. They just have faith. The New Testament martyrs, on the other hand, witnessed Jesus rise from the dead. They saw Jesus. They touched Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They verified that Jesus rose from the dead with their own senses. You see, many people will die for a lie, or at least some people will die for a lie they think is the truth. Nobody will die for a lie they know is a lie. 
And the New Testament writers were in a position to know whether it was a lie or not, and they went to their deaths anyway. You can't get better evidence than that unless you were there yourself. All right. Last thing on this, and it's going to sound like heresy for those of you that think the Bible's inerrant like I do, but it's not. It's not heresy, Pastor, Pastor Johnny. Just stick with me. Christianity is not true because a series of documents we put under one binding we call the Bible says it's true. In fact, Christianity would be true if the Bible never existed. You say, how can that be? Because Christianity did not originate with a book. Christianity originated with an event. The resurrection. There would be no book written by Jews in the first century that say a man claimed to be God and then rose from the dead unless a man claimed to be God and rose from the dead. Do you realize there were thousands of Christians before a line of the New Testament was ever written? Why? Not because they read a book, but because they saw that Jesus had resurrected from the dead or they knew people that did see him. In other words, Christianity came out of an event. It didn't come out of a book. There would be no book or a series of books, documents we now call one book, written by Jews in the first century unless this happened. In fact, you could put it this way. The New Testament writers did not create the resurrection. The resurrection created the New Testament writers. Now, thankfully, they did write it down. So we could know about it and orient our lives according to it other than under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But if they had never written it down, it still would have happened. We just wouldn't know about it. Do you see the point here? Yeah. Now, there's a lot more in the book we don't have time to get into here. I've just got a couple minutes left. But I do want to point out one thing. Pastor Johnny said we go to college campuses a lot. We do. I was just at a couple of colleges in Utah. Before that, a couple in Missouri. Next week, I'll be at one near Charlotte the week after at Rutgers and then another college in Georgia. And we present, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist on college campuses. And we set up a microphone for Q&A. And this happens to be the University of uh, Wisconsin at Madison. And they love the Bible there about as much as the University of California at Berserkly does. <laughs> and so sometimes we get hostile questions. And when someone gets up to the microphone and expresses some hostility, I normally stop and, and ask them a question. And I recommend you ask this question to anybody who's not a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, thank you for being here. But I have a question for you. Here's the question. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? I've had atheists stand at that microphone of hundred, in front of hundreds of people and say, no. No? I thought you claimed to be reasonable. How is it reasonable that you wouldn't believe something if it were true? It's not reasonable. The problem isn't in the head. The problem's in the heart. They don't want it to be true. They don't want there to be a God. Why? Because they want to be God of their own lives. They're not on a truth quest. They're on a happiness quest. And they're just going to believe whatever they think is going to make them happy. Here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. You can make yourself happy over the short term, doing a lot of fun, selfish things. But over the long term, it's a disaster. Yes. And everyone in this room over 40 knows what I'm talking about because many of us have tried it ourselves, right? 
You want to live nothing but fun and selfishness? Guess what? Pretty soon you're going to be broke, you're going to be alone, you're going to be sick, and ultimately you're going to be dead. You want to get contentment? You've got to go straight through truth, and Jesus is the truth. So always ask the question, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? The problem is, you'll find that many people are looking for God like a criminal's looking for a cop. Right? They don't want God. Now, I know many people have been upset because Christians have treated them poorly. I get that. But historian John Dixon from Australia asked this question. When somebody plays Beethoven poorly, who do you blame? You don't blame Beethoven. So when somebody plays Jesus poorly, you don't blame Jesus. In fact, I know this is maybe news, but Christianity is not Christians. Christianity is Jesus. Just because I don't play Jesus perfectly or I even play him poorly, just because I'm not true and beautiful, doesn't mean Jesus isn't true and beautiful. He is. So keep your eyes on Jesus. All right, last thing. Uh, We do have some books on the book table, and here's how you can get the entire PowerPoint presentation, actually five different PowerPoint presentations in a PDF format for free. Text the word evidence to 855-909-0582. I'm going to send you this PowerPoint presentation in a PDF format. I showed you maybe 30 slides today. The whole presentation has 360 slides. I'm going to send it all to you in a PDF format, like four or five other presentations. And uh, it's all for free. I want you to have it so you can review this. Uh, at your leisure. If you do get the book, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist on the book table out there. If we run out, you can just pay for it now and we'll uh, send it here tomorrow or for for next week so you don't have to pay shipping. There's a complete DVD set out there as well that goes through all this. Uh, It's a curriculum. It's like over seven hours long. It goes through all this. You can get workbooks to go with it. There's a brand new book called Hollywood Heroes. My son and I just wrote. He's a seminary grad as well. He happens to be in the Air Force as well. And we've noticed that some of the biggest blockbusters in Hollywood history steal from the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus, including Iron Man, including Star Wars, including Batman and Wonder Woman and Lord of the Rings. They're all taken from the greatest story ever told. So if you have a young person this holiday season, you want to get them more interested in Jesus and they love movies, get that book, put it in their stocking, all right? Now, by the way, all the proceeds from the sale of the books and the DVDs will go to feed needy children. Mine, okay? (laughs) Just so you know. I got three sons, so I need some help. All right, it's true. So what if it's true? So what if Christianity's true? Well, the greatest, the greatest news is that someone actually did die for you. Now, when I was in the Navy, I was in naval aviation, and we had to earn golden wings. They were fairly hard to earn, but there's nothing more difficult in any military, particularly the Navy, to earn than a golden trident. 
Very few people that start SEAL training make it through, maybe 5 or 10%. Those that do make it through wear that trident with pride. It is their identity. When Michael Monsor was buried in Rosecrans Cemetery in San Diego, California, just about every Navy SEAL on the West Coast showed up for his funeral. And when they passed his casket, they took off their tridents and pressed them into his casket. They took their identity and put their identity in the one that died for them, the one that sacrificed for them. That's what we're supposed to do. But our culture says, oh, no, 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 put your identity in your political party or put your identity in your race or your ethnic group or put your identity in your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your sexual orientation or your job or your vocation or your spouse. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that none of those things are ultimate? That you can lose everything in this world. You can lose your spouse. You can lose your job. You can lose your bank account. You can lose your partner. You can lose your political party. You can lose all these things. There's only one thing you can't lose, and that's Jesus. He is your creator. He is the one that sacrificed for you. And he didn't just die, he also rose again. And then the biographer of Jesus, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, said, he's given you the right to become a child of God. You can have an identity that never perishes, that makes you secure. You can take Jesus' identity. Why wouldn't you take that? It's free. And it's eternal. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.